Hi, welcome. Um, we are in the middle of a short mini-series on the parable of the two lost sons. And last week, we looked at part one. This week, we're looking at part two. But let's go back to part one quickly. And so we get context as we go into part two. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here am I starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So I got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. End of part one. Part two. Meanwhile, the eldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry. Other versions say he was deeply resentful. He was furious. He stomped off in an angry sulk and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father. Other versions say he burst out. He argued back. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, another version says, this wasteful delinquent who has squandered your property with prostitute comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, God's word applies to us in 2022. It speaks into our inner parts. It examines and challenges our heart responses to our everyday attitudes and actions. So let's step into the story and see what it holds for us. Why was the older son working in the field? Why was the older son working in the field? Is it because he's hardworking, loyal, conscientious? Could be. 
Or has he blown his inheritance? But no one's heard about it. You see, go back to the beginning of this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Maybe he's still working in the field because he's blown what was freely given to him, just like his younger lost brother did. Could be. Maybe some of his dreams, aspirations and family expectations that were birthed in his early formative years, also called his construction stage, hadn't all come up to his highly individualised expectations. A columnist for the New York Times studied a series of college graduation speeches. He discovered a foreboding common echo resounding in the ears of the graduates with each graduation cycle. He writes, if you sample some of the commencement addresses being broadcast on C-SPAN these days, you see that many graduates are told to follow your passion, chart your own course, march to the beat of your own drummer, follow your dreams and find yourself. So maybe the older son is working out in the field, angry, brooding, because life has not been what social media, brand marketing and Hollywood told him he deserved. Instead of experiencing his field of dreams, he's now stuck in his field of resentment. Could be. Whichever is the case, he's quick to explode. He's obviously been brooding for a long, long time. It's a classic pent-up anger situation. He was angry, deeply resentful, furious in an angry sulk. He lines up his loving father and bursts out at him and argues back at him. So how are you going in your field? Your field may be your workplace, your college or university or TAFE centre. It could be your family, your network of friends or your church community. In your particular field, you may have been hardworking, generous, loyal, attentive, understanding, hospitable, conscientious, patient, diligent, empathetic and sacrificial. The field you have placed yourself in may be going well for you and there's lots of rewards for your efforts. Or for some of you, although you have been working so diligently in your field for years or even decades, you have this growing sense of phobi coming over you. You've begun experiencing this feeling of becoming invisible. You have been faithfully working your field for a long, long time. But now you are beginning to feel unnoticed, unappreciated and undervalued. In your field, you started out in your young adult years, married, secure, in control, connected. But now you are single again, 
and you're still having to front up in your field each day, and it's not easy. Or you started out single working in your field, and years later, maybe by choice or otherwise, you are still single. And at times, you feel lonely, unprotected, uninvited, invisible. Or you are an introvert working in your field, surrounded by fields full of noisy, energetic, gregarious extroverts. Say you're feeling constant work and social pressure to slip on your extrovert cape every day as you step into your field which seems a bit wacky because half the world are introverts anyway. So as I asked before, how are you going in your field, really? Let's go back to the old lost sun. Let's dig a bit deeper and see what's under the rocks. In the cultural context of the parable, the older son would have been regularly attending his local place of worship. And he's more than just an attendee, too. He's on the church's religious laws committee. This keeps him very busy because there's 600 religious laws that they must ensure the attendees know about and strictly follow. They've even developed an app for it. He's very proud of being on the religious laws committee. He even thinks of himself as the top gun of religious law keepers. I suggest he may be experiencing TOS, which is common in various faith communities. TOS is known in faith communities as the older son syndrome. There are many symptoms, but they are very hard to be seen by others because they are internal, hidden away, covered up by an ever-present Sunday smile. Now, his symptoms symptoms included as a card-carrying believer. He's watched many baptisms, heard many testimonies. But inside, it never touches him. Listening to the people's stories of God finding them doesn't move him at all. As his dad said to him, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. But inside, he's like, whatever. It's crazy how the younger lawbreaker son discovers real life, but the older lawkeeper son is dead on the inside. Another symptom was his indifference to corporate worship gatherings. Hardly any of it touches him on the inside, deep down. He saves his emotions for each September when Jerusalem takes on Jericho for the annual Dead Sea Cup. He's a gold medallion member, so he sits between the Pharisees and the Sadducees right on the wing, second level. He gets very emotional about his footy. He read a chunk of his Bible once. He still picks it up occasionally. It, it feels good in his hands. He'll flick through it again one day. Anyway, he's got his beliefs all sorted out and neatly stored away. He figures there's nothing new for him to have to sort out. 
Another symptom is he thinks laughter and fun have no place in his community worship centre. He even heard dance music as he approached his dad's house, and that just added to his brooding anger. It annoys him that his own people are always looking for some excuse to celebrate God's goodness. Feast of weeks, feast of Passover, feast of the new moon, whatever. He's even heard about some young rabbi turning water into wine at a local wedding, which then encouraged everyone to keep dancing. He has this ingrained fear that laughter would be normalised in his place of worship. One of his underlying symptoms was that he never used people's names. He kept his distance from people in his surrounding community by keeping it all impersonal. In his faith community, he would refer obliquely to the youth or to the oldies. He would wax lyrical about the progressives and those conservatives. He would stand on the right side of history and refer to those on the wrong side of history, like his younger lost brother, as the delinquents, the deplorables. And as he snarled at his father, this son of yours who has squandered your property. It's always easier to keep people at arm's distance if you don't say or know their names, even in a faith community. And bottom line, he just doesn't like people. One recurring symptom, which was obvious to others because he's very energised by it, was his energetic pursuit of deconstructionism. He enjoyed dismantling anything that's been constructed around him outside of his field. Unlike his dad's youngest lost son, who went through the same stage and took off, he felt he was in the box seat because he was still there working in the field. So he enjoyed subversively pulling apart how the farm was operated, how his family of origin operated, how his church operated and how his father operated. And he didn't have a compelling vision or viable option to replace what he loved attacking and pulling apart. He just felt like he was on the right side of history when he did it. It made him feel noticed, wise. One leader wrote in his personal diary many years ago, if you marry the spirit of your own generation, you'll be a widow in the next. As one writer explains, whatever we do in the zeal of the cultural moment we find ourselves in, we have to be able to live with it in the next. We might deeply disapprove of the way our church, workplace, or even our government operates. But if we burn it to the ground, we have to be able to live in the world without it, and without the good it did in spite of its failings. By working way out in his field alone, he was not under the same focus of deconstructionism as he placed others under. He could throw his idealistic rocks that he'd piled up in his field at whoever he wanted to because it felt good. The funny thing is, he never went and asked the rock receivers about their point of view. Why should he? He didn't know their names, so whatever. 
He prided himself by staying on the out and throwing his idealistic rocks at the in. One version says in regards to this, the older brother was so angry that he would not go into the house. So his father came out and begged him to come in. Throwing ideological rocks from a distance is strategically sound because you don't have to be involved in the cleanup and reconstruction. As one old saying goes, the further you step away from the coalface, the more idealistic you become. One insightful writer puts it this way. If you want to know who you are, watch your feet, because where your feet take you is who you are. But God is in the reconstruction business. The gospel is God always coming out, stepping towards you, inviting you into his family. As I said before, the verse says the older brother was so angry that he would not go into the house, so his father came out and begged him to come in. That's the gospel. Maybe that's why Jesus had such sore feet. He was always on the move, stepping towards lost people, like lawbreakers and law keepers, like fishermen and footballers from Jericho, or people like you and me, or people like those toiling away under a hot sun in their fields. The fields were called resentment or regret. How many stone fences would Jesus have leaned on, resting his sore feet, looking out across the countless fields, and with a big smile, calling out to each field worker by name, are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You know, God grants ultimate freedom to humankind, which is the freedom to reject his love. You are free to choose which field you want to occupy. You are free to choose out over in, even if that causes infinite pain to the loving heart of God. I wonder if the older lost son ever accepted his father's invitation. As Jesus once said to a group of rock throwers at a party, I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders, an invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. Why would anyone knock back Jesus' invitation to a new life? What rock is worth giving that invitation up for? See you again.